right, guys, welcome back to Pulse to the Wall. And tonight, James Gentleman is making his Pulse to the Wall debut, which uh, it's a huge honor for him. I'll just say that for him. So, James, how are you doing tonight? Hey, doing great. Honored, humbled even to be on your show, Nick. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, for the listeners, um, Tyler's out tonight, and Mike is trying to put his uh, his army of babies to sleep in their I told James before we started that they're they're trying to stage an insurrection and yeah. overthrow I, their current bedtime rules. I saw one of them with their feet up on their mom's desk. It was insane. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be making a registry. But um, okay, so <laughs> so uh, tonight we were talking about like what topics to go over on the podcast, and there are a couple that stuck out to me. And uh, one has been this recent. I'll say this is under the umbrella of sort of the post-libertarian. Um, arguments that have kind of emerged the last couple months, it seems like really picking up a lot of steam. And I, I would say that I'm completely like open-minded to it. And we talked a little bit before the stream that there's a lot of like talking. I mean, it's, it's a lot of orating to try to distill like some very, some very uh, vague ideas. Like it's, it's tough to understand like exactly what the argument is, right? Like there's plenty of critiques without, much of an alternative offered. So I thought we could talk about that. Um, so what, what has been your exposure to a lot of those conversations and podcasts that have been going on? Yeah. So um, I, I have actually been listening a lot to Andrew from popular Liberty, just because he's going to be on my show uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So I've been really trying to get a grasp on what he has to say. Um, and, you know, and in addition to that, I'm reading, I'm listening to whatever, whatever everybody's talking about. Like uh, when Clint had Cyprian and uh, Erickson on, I've listened to that. I've listened to a few postmortems of that. Um, And I don't know. I does, is, is the audience like familiar with what I'm talking about? Yes, I think so. I think we're, we're trying to talk today about what our niche is and we've had some like big name guests on like, uh, or I mean, I shouldn't say big, big name, but, you know, we've had like the lines of Liberty on, we've had Dr. Stephen Hicks on the podcast. So we've had all of these like sort of public intellectuals that are like very kind of blue check mark types. And then we've also had like, you know, the guys from not a podcast and timeline earth. So yeah. I said that we are the bridge between like the libertarian public intellectuals and the underworld of shit posters. Like we are where they connect. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, I think our listeners have been paying attention to a lot of that stuff. And, uh, I mean, just a little backdrop, what makes it interesting to me and what I think is unfortunate is when these sort of uh, like personal attacks get made where, I mean, let's look at, let's zoom out about what the Mises caucus is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's no small feat what they're attempting. Like they're attempting to change the course of the political conversations in our country, thus changing the politics and Mm -hmm. taking on the military industrial complex and the central banks and all of this stuff. I mean, when you look at it, it's, it's really a huge undertaking. Like this is, this is no small goal that they're attempting. Yeah. And uh, to me, it's like, if you're going to make, like, I think that the more people that you can red pill, the better, like, you know, the, the more numbers we have, the better with actually changing policy. And to me, I guess the most compelling argument I'd heard against it, where it's like, okay, I'll hear you out, is that, you know, this is going to be a cutthroat political business that is like, you you need to be Machiavellian to do this. And when you look at the LPMC, it's consisting of like very good, well-read, honest, friendly people. And it's like just the, the structure of that. It makes you skeptical, like, okay, are they equipped to do this? 
and I'm open to the idea that they can. I think the the steel man for the LPMC is that you get enough people and that just organically puts pressure on the machine to change policy. So what do you think about like that general framework? Well, let me ask you what you think the purpose of the Libertarian Party is. So <laughs> I've recently um, been swayed by the sort of uh, Tho Bishop, Eric Brakey argument that the GOP is actually the best vehicle to get our policies across. And I think if you look at Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, um, Justin Amash briefly, um, those sorts of people are the ones that are actually getting elected. And even they are super, uh, they're very few in numbers. Yep. So I, the idea that we're going to elect libertarian politicians, it's like, okay, that's not going to happen. The vast majority of the public does not pay attention to the news and the different political, you know, inside baseball uh, conversations in this country. They just go in the voting box and they click R or D and they move on with their lives. So they're never going to check the L box. So the libertarian party does not exist to elect libertarian politicians. It's really a messaging vehicle. So, you know, how effective can that messaging be if you're not winning any elections? And I, I don't think that you necessarily need it to get your messaging across. I mean, again, Ron Paul was a Republican mm -hmm. and he's the origin story of like, you know, 90% of the people in the LPMC. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that's, but you know, again, steel manning the LPMC, it's like, well, we have this thing that people have heard of. So why not take it over and get the message across? So I guess that's mm -hmm. kind of where I stand. How about you? Yeah. Um, so if you like read David Nolan's essay, even before he founded the LP, he wrote a, he wrote an article called the case for the, the case for a libertarian political party. And he makes it pretty clear in that, that his purpose and the purpose of any third party is not to get elected. It's, it's to hold the politicians feet to the fire. Um, and I see that as a potential purpose of the LP and especially the Mises caucus. Um, I really, I mean, I obviously, I think that the that the local strategy is the way to go if we're going to be running candidates, and I think that mm -hmm. we should be. Um, in addition to you know running a presidential candidate, uh, just to get somebody on TV. Um, other than that, I think the only purpose of running statewide candidates is to spoil a terrible Republican versus a terrible Democrat. Um, you know, I mean, in a lot of states, including the one where I live, Minnesota, uh, running a statewide candidate is how you get ballot access. So, you know, run somebody for attorney general or comptroller or something like that. If you've got a half decent Republican running for governor and a terrible Democrat running for governor, don't, don't, don't spoil that race. I mean, yes. Yeah. We, the 2020 tells us what governors can do. It's fucked up, you know? Right. I mean, right. <laughs> and, and people will, uh, you know, people went after Gary Johnson and Joe Jorgensen for like swaying the entire outcome of the election. Like, Oh, they split the vote. Like Trump could have won these counties if Jorgensen wasn't there. And it's like with 1% of the vote. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's not, that's not going to cut it. Well, However, and until we, until we have a, until we have like a Curtis Yarvin Machiavellian president in the white house, it's not going to matter who's president anyway. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I love when I, when I try to talk to normies, which I, I want to get to this. I think that the, the ultimate goal here is to sway the normies, like the normies make up the majority of this country. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how do we get those people who are politically apathetic that don't care to pay attention and vote for good politicians to push good policy? Mm -hmm. So I think that is like the big question. Um, but oh, I got sidetracked again. What was I talking about before? 
or what did you say? What did you end on? Uh, the run, running up, it doesn't matter who's president. Oh yeah. Really. Right. Right. So, so when you talk to them, it's like, well, look at what Trump actually did as president, the policies he had, it, it's not very substantively different than W or Obama or even Biden now. I mean, it was just very different rhetoric in the culture war, but you're not actually changing policy that actually matters when you go to like, you know, pay for your health insurance premiums or go to the supermarket and pay different prices for, for produce. Um, so not to get super dark and black pilled, but I mean, you know, the worse the president, the, the faster the demise. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, I mean, I'm also open to the accelerationist argument, sure. you know, not that I cheer it on. I think a lot of uh, libertarians yeah. gleefully look forward to like hyperinflation and it's like, guys, that's not something you should cheer on. It's yeah. like, if you think it's inevitable and you want to like prep yourself, then that's fine. But I wouldn't take any pleasure in that prospect. It's, it seems pretty dark. Hey, Mike. Hey, James. Hey, Welcome sorry. to the show. Good to see you. You too. Sorry, I just wrestled four kids to bed, so I'm yeah, a little man. scatterbrained. But That's I'm awesome. just gonna You're heroic for doing that. You guys just <laughs> chat a little bit, and I'm gonna pick up where I can see a nice inlet for myself. Cool. You've got all kinds of acoustic paneling. That's awesome. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I, uh, I started using Podsworth Media for my audio editing, and the guy's giving me all these tips. Uh, he wants me to make DIY acoustic panels, though, and I don't. I mean, I've got a drill, but I don't know how to use it. So I bought these on Amazon, but. You know, it was it was a little pricey, but um, yeah. it worked very well. And I did it because I have a bunch of kids. I wanted to be able to record when they're awake, once yeah. they're older. So, anyhow, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm also building uh, a little podcast pod in my basement. I'm actually going to make a video. Nice. It should be pretty cool, but a little little tornado room. But um, okay, so so we're going to get back on track. Sorry, here. I so, got it sidetracked. No, I I do it too, so it's all good. Um, so yeah, I think the the purpose of the LP you know, it's okay. We're not electing libertarian politicians, or at least we have not. <clears throat> so, okay. At so least, at least not in, not in big races. I mean, at the local level, there's, there's, you know, I mean, maybe a hundred or so elected libertarians. It's not, it's, it's not a huge number, but it's nothing to sneeze at either. I mean, um, Kara Schultz, who is here local in the twin cities, uh, she's like head of candidate recruiting for the LP, but she's also a city council member. And also she's gotten another libertarian elected to the same city council. Um, the suburb like right next to me is majority libertarian on their city council. Oh, so, really? So those local races are, are real. They're, they're winnable. The thing is they're not partisan. You don't have someone with an R or a D or an L or whatever next to their name on the ballot. You just vote for, you just vote for who made the best case to you as a voter. In most cases, isn't that a better solution overall, though, just to go off of platform rather than letter next to the name? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like Nick said before, is that there's so many people that they vote like it's a sports team. Like it's I'm a Bear fan or a Packer fan lifelong. And that's my dad. Uh, Like if you ask my dad, straight ticket voting is the best thing that ever happened to Texas. He (laughs) his, his ballot. He can make he can fill two bubbles and that's it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which I mean. If you listen to like the uh, the Tho Bishop um, sort of argument, it's compelling that, and this is where I've been kind of drifting more towards lately when it comes to actually like getting our policies through, is it's much easier to capitalize on the sort of populism that you're seeing within the GOP. Like they are ripe for uh, change, of course. Like the the you know Republican conservative voters of this country are not happy with the establishment. They're not fans of Mitch McConnell. They're they're not fans of all of the the usual suspects. So there's a good chance that we could actually inject our ideas into those platforms and and start swaying people that way. Yeah. So I'm completely open to that. Um, and, and also, like you were talking about the the local elections, I know that 
uh, Phil Bishop has basically taken over his local GOP in Florida. And like, that's awesome. And that's how you actually start fighting back. You nullify things at a small level and Mm -hmm. that's where you can actually have influence. So, I mean, whether that's the Republicans or libertarians, I'm completely cool with that. The question is, you know, what is the best vehicle for, for doing that? Um, but then the, the one post libertarian thing that I've been grappling with lately, and I never thought this far ahead, um, and again, this is why I say it was unfortunate that it started getting into like this personal mudslinging thing is we're talking about, like I mentioned before, what the overall goals are of the Mises caucus. And we're talking about like, you know, creating this discontent for the establishment, like for the cathedral. And that's a big thing. And the cathedral is going to fight back. And let's say somebody like Dave Smith does run for president in 2024. Not somebody like Dave. Let's say Dave runs in 2024. (laughs) There's nobody like Dave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've been listening to Dave for five years. Like, I love Dave. He introduced me. He radicalized me, all this stuff. But we know that the cathedral's immune system is going to kick in, and there's going to be a targeted PR campaign against Dave and the Mises Caucus and everybody involved. And we've watched them do this over and over again with, like, the Proud Boys and January 6th and all these things. And the question is, like I I mentioned, you know, the Mises Caucus is consisting of, like, well-read, nice, respectful, happy people. Um, I don't know if if they – if everybody involved has thought that far ahead about what that response to a national campaign would look like, is that a concern that you have? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, it, it's uh, Clint and uh, Mark Claire were talking about it actually on this on a very recent, maybe this week episode yep. of lines of Liberty. We are um, that's a, that's a real threat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially when you've got what's his face, like lumping in libertarians with the MAGA folks as like the, the next big threat. Um, the war on terror, it, like, I think we, we all knew this. I don't know. I came from the left. Um, I've been opposed to the war on terror since 2001. So, uh, I know that people in my circles back then were predicting this, this, this war on terror is eventually going to be turned inward. Um, I don't, I don't think the daily coast community back then thought it would be a Democrat president to do it. And I don't think they're opposed to it now. Um, but we've kind of always seen it coming. And if libertarians are, especially Mises libertarians are lumped in with QAnon and, you know, whoever else, then yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I think more and more of us are going to be on lists, more and more of us are going to have our phones tapped and our, our travel restricted and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a very real threat for sure. Yeah. And um, I think that and it's, something to side... consider, it's something to consider when we're, when we're, when we're doing our political activities, there is no shame. And, and, you know, I, I mentioned Curtis Yarvin earlier, uh, there's no shame in in sitting out, um, even going the agorist route and yeah. and just, you know, fending for yourself. Yeah, no, I, I completely respect that as well. I think that that might ultimately be the, the best option um, if you're an individual, if there's a strong mm-hmm. argument to make that, you know, just seceding from the system and insulating yourself from all of the yeah. political happenings in the world is actually the most responsible thing to do for your family and, and for yourself. But at the same time, it's like, you know, the, the, uh, like I've, I, I love an underdog. I like people fighting back. Like I can't not cheer that on. So the idea that like, oh, therefore the Mises caucus shouldn't exist or, or they shouldn't have this, these goals that they have. I'm also, I can't swallow that pill. Like to me, it's, it's all about the fight and actually changing things. So I guess I don't knock people for doing the, 
you know, build your own life raft thing. And I also don't knock people for wanting to fight. Um, I, I'm simply interested in the arguments that are being made. Like, do you want the eye of Sauron following you? And what happens when uh, MSNBC starts going through all the Legion of Skanks archives and pulls up every time Dave said a, a no, no word yeah, um, yeah. And, is, and implicating everybody that's associated <laughs> with the movement and everything. It's again, it's not an anti uh, LPMC argument that I'm making. It's just, it's something that we need to grapple with before this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Curtis Yarvin, I, I, and I think he calls it the clear pill. And I, I honestly, I hate all the pills. I think red there's too many pills. The only ones that, pills. that need to be there, but you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of it. Um, it's, it's kind of like a black pill. I mean, it's like, you know, sit it, just sit out. Like you're not, you're not going to achieve power. Uh, your your people are not going to achieve power, so uh, you might as well make the most of your life. And maybe, maybe once this system collapses, you will find yourself in a position of power. He gives the analogy, and I'm I'm on gray mirror gray mirror right now, trying to find who he's who he's talking about, and I can't find it. But I think it's the guy. He ended up being like the president of Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. Um, toward the end of the Soviet empire. And, uh, you know, this guy was just a merchant and he was a writer and he was talking about how, you know, um, in 19, say 70 or whatever it was, uh, you were expected to put your workers of the world unite poster up in your window. If you were a shopkeeper, um, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, yeah, I support the workers of the world. Let's unite. It's like you get this poster in your box of potatoes or onions or whatever it is. And you put the sign up in the window, just like, just like now with the black lives matter or um, here in Minneapolis, here in Minneapolis, you see a lot of uh, black owned business. Um, And that's sort of like the, it's sort of like the lamb's blood on the Passover. Like if there's a black owned business, um, then the rioters and looters aren't supposed to hit it. Obviously that's not always the case. Um, we haven't had too much, too much violence and looting in the last uh, few months or so. Fingers crossed that won't that won't pop up again. Um, although with police shootings going the way they are, I, I mean, you never know. Uh, it keeps happening here. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, the the this guy, he's a writer, and I can't. I wish I could fucking remember his name, but um, he was a writer, and then he ended up like the president of the Czech Republic. Uh, following the collapse of the Soviet Union. And his secret was, don't get politically involved. And and it, and it ended up working really well for him. Um, and I, I think that that's one of the, the Eastern European countries that is doing fairly well following the collapse. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's sort of like the, uh, the Warren Buffett thing, right? Like when he feels a recession coming on, like he sells his assets and sits on a bunch of cash. And then when it crashes, then you move in and you take control of all these things. And th- that's also something that I'm, I'm trying to reconcile because I guess the sort of black-pilled libertarian take is that the empire is going to collapse due to hyperinflation and monetary recklessness and mm-hmm. overexpanding our military. And it's like, okay, well, if we if we think that's coming and right now the state is sort of like this wounded animal that's that's thrashing and they're they're going crazy, then why should we take them on when they're in that state and not after it collapses? Because to me it seems like 
like the reason I'm optimistic or white pilled as the kids say, even though we agree there's way too many pills is <laughs> when this thing crashes, uh, like right now we're, we talked about this with Pete Canonez right now. We're already seeing people sort of voluntarily organically, uh, partake in federalism. People are voting with their feet. They're leaving California yeah. and going to Texas. And to me, it's like people are forming these like-minded communities and they're getting their legislation through. And there is sort of like a very, the beginnings of a peaceful divorce happening. And it's not like we're trying to take control of the federal government. It's just that we're trying to have the right to be insulated from it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, on that topic, I'm like, I, I completely get that. Like, why not sit it out or at least understand the argument of sitting it out. And then when the dust settles, then you have more control. Yeah, no. And, and Nick, I totally agree with what you said about like how you, you want to root for the underdog. And, you know, I feel the same way because this whole thing of even like publicly speaking on these issues, like you don't know if this thing goes sideways in a few years and yeah. anyone who's associated with this movement might be a target. And, and me having mm -hmm. a family and everything that that's stuff that I, I do lose sleep over. But at the same time, I feel compelled that if 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 people like us sit quiet right now, then the game's already over. The, the, we, everyone who has like, who passionately feels the way we feel, I think has an obligation at this point to step up and at least, you know, inspire other people to follow a certain route or get involved with what Dave is doing. Yeah. And, and Mike, I mean, especially you with four kids, I mean, you have, I don't know, Nick, do you have kids? Are you uh, first one on the way? Okay. So you guys have, uh, I mean, you guys have a lot to lose. I, I, yeah. It, it's 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 certainly something to to consider. I mean, I've got a dog and a and a and a partner who you know. I mean, if if I end up in a gulag somewhere, then you know he'll 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 find somebody else. You have kids, like <laughs> that's real. Yeah. Not, yeah, that my, I mean, not, not that not that my partner's not real. I hope he doesn't listen to this. But you know, I mean, I'm not responsible for raising him and making him into into a good person. Like he's already a good person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely right. get that. And I, I mean, that is uh, like when I first went down the sort of Rothbardian rabbit hole five years ago, uh, you know, I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. And, I, you know, I was like, I'm like, oh, this actually sounds cool. Like this Mad Max thing where we get to rebuild from scratch and, and bring it on. I'll buy some gold and silver and Bitcoin. And uh, now that I've grown up a little bit and, you know, start to think about like, family and the future and everything it's actually a it'll scare you shitless the the prospect of living in a collapsed society and i know a lot of people will say like well look at the soviet union you know when they collapsed it was the best thing that ever happened to russia and it's like yeah if you're going from soviet union standard of living and then you have like you know just basic black markets that are now like out in the open then yeah your standard of living will go up but I think people too often don't realize how good we have it here. And it's like, mm -hmm. it, things can get a lot worse really quickly. Yeah. And, you know, we like talk about like, you know, if you have Netflix and DoorDash, then you're, you're basically content in this country. Like you don't, you don't care too much about this stuff. You know, I was thinking today about like, if you look at the late 1960s, like how divided the country was over <clears throat> Vietnam and civil rights and everything. Um, and then in the seventies, like you had like, the oil embargo in like 73 and people were waiting in line to get gas. Like those people at that time had to think the world was coming to an end. You know I mean? You had like Barry McGuire singing Eve of destruction, like talking all about how like this has to be the end. Um, and it got really bad for a long time. 
but then like if you look at the 80s as far as america went like it was a time of peace and a lot more prosperity came but the one thing i contrast with today's society that was a little different is like the indoctrination in the school districts and the um you know the, the whole like big tech censorship like there's a whole new element that we've never had to grapple with before that is kind of it, it there's so many more powers at stake that are having impacts on our lives in every direction that we that we work on. I mean, we're, we're on YouTube right now. We're using all these big platforms that can shut us down any minute. And that's the wild card that I'm really concerned about. Yeah. I mean, that that's, and that's why I've been really hammering this drum. Is that the beating this drum about uh, the, the private companies? Like, and I know, I know Pete has a much bigger platform than I do and he's been hammering it even more than me. But uh, this idea that Google, the you know owner of, of YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all them, um, are private companies who can then therefore violate the rights of people, even though they are like completely beholden to and probably funded by the U.S. government. I mean, look at the look. I mean, I can't I can't mention the V A C C I N E on your podcast. Or you guys are going to get delisted or demonetized or whatever by YouTube because they are the propaganda arm of the state. This mm-hmm. is this this is this goes beyond like the press and the and the media and all that. Like social media is the media now, and um, it's something that libertarians are going to need to contend with. It's something obviously that the entirety of society needs to contend with. How do we how do we like get around this this like digital tyranny? Uh, being that they aren't formally members of the state, but they are state actors. Yeah. You know, this is uh, one of the topics that, you know, months ago um, we actually had uh, Cyprian formerly Vin Armani on our podcast. And one of the things that like was a, a great analogy or, or a great explanation to me is uh, when he talked about how there will be no gulags, like we have digital gulags, yeah, people yeah, get, they exactly. get the debanking thing is really creepy to me where PayPal refuses to process payments and like JP Morgan chase will free somebody's credit card. And this whole thing is getting very uh, bizarre and just, you know, obviously banning people on YouTube. Remember when it was just Alex Jones, like four years ago. And it's like, Oh, Alex Jones got pulled off of YouTube. Like this is unheard of that YouTube banned somebody. And then people are like, oh, who cares? It's just Alex Jones. You know, the guy's a wackadoodle. And then now it's like every day people are getting struck on YouTube and taken down. And, and, you know, when it comes to the public private thing, I think this is one of those libertarian dogmas that should be challenged because it's like, okay, the New York times is a private company. Your local fire department is government owned. Okay. Which one is the more moral institution that actually gives (laughs) a shit about you? You know, it's like, it's the fire department, man. Like they, they're actually decent dudes that they get paid with tax money, but they're actually trying to protect their communities. Right. This isn't even a decision. The New York times they're private, but you know, they will push war propaganda and lead the, the uh, you know, millions of people to slaughter. So uh, I think that is like you mentioned, that's something that we need to get over and grapple with. And Pete has been really good on that. Um, so yeah, this is, this is another thing where um uh, this has to be part of the messaging in my opinion. And actually uh, not to toot my own horn, but I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit. Uh, I tweeted from the, the libertarian party of Minnesota's like official Twitter account the other day, something I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was along these lines 
um, calling, you know, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, not a, not a private company. Uh, it might've even been the platform plank that we passed this year saying that these, that these state aligned organizations aren't private. Um, anyway, I tweeted it out and Tom Woods actually retweeted it. Like even he's on board with this and he has always been the, like very much the, uh, like he said, yeah, they're private companies, but but that doesn't mean we can't like oppose them. We yeah you know, we're, yeah we're you know you don't go to a restaurant and get a shitty meal and say oh well it's a private company they can serve yeah exactly <laughs> they give you exactly. Great, it's a great analogy for 2019, but like you know we have to come to this realization that these that these organizations are not private in the same sense that the restaurant you know getting bad Yelp reviews are private, right. Yeah, yeah, no, that is, uh, and I think that is starting to pick up steam. I'm not sure who, uh, who in the last, like, especially like you said, two years ago. I don't know who in the last two years that was in the sort of like libertarian scene, especially like the Mises circle. It seems like that idea is actually catching on, and and people are starting to look at the cathedral, which is, I, yeah. I will forever be grateful to Yarvin for popularizing that term because it really encapsulates like everything here. Um, go, like if people read Rothbard, it's like, oh, it's the state. Like the state is behind all of this with yeah. you know the professors and the university system. Um, but but yeah, no, I, I think that awakening has been a, a really good thing, and I only hope that we can spread it to the the rest of the population. So I guess pivoting from that a little bit. Um, I briefly mentioned it earlier when Mike was coming in the, the chat room here, but I think that the, the goal of the Mises caucus, it's not to, we're not trying to win over leftists, right? If somebody's like a hardcore progressive, you know, oh. wearing two masks everywhere, those aren't the people that we're going to harpoon right. and bring over. It's, it's the people, uh, and I've talked about this on the podcast a couple times as well. It being able to inject our ideas into the lives of everyday, uh, you know, normies that's actually going to to move the needle and and you know popularize these ideas and i think right now with we're seeing inflation pick up and this could be something that if the austrian school of economics is right this is going to become a much bigger issue in the coming years and i think that libertarians like this is our time to shine like this is what we obsess over and when this happens, we need to have compelling, concise answers for people about why this is happening. Like, you know, I work in, uh, in the plumbing industry. I work inside sales for a plumbing wholesaler and people have been, uh, you know, whenever I give them an invoice, like their eyes light up and they're looking at the price of copper and PVC and water heaters and all this stuff. And, you know, they make some comment about how the prices are through the roof. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you print $10 trillion in a year and then, you know, shockingly prices go up and, yeah. and it seems like people are receptive to that. Like people who are not interested in politics, they're like, like, Oh yeah, no shit. It's going to be toilet paper by this time next year. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. So, so what do you think about the sort of broader uh, strategy of the LPMC, like what it is and what it ought to be? Ugh. Uh, I think that's a big question and it might be above my pay grade. I'm, I'm definitely more of the uh, let's, let's, let's debate libertarian philosophy till the, till the sun comes up. Then I am. <laughs> let's talk about strategy. Uh, in fact, I told Michael Heiss like to his face, like I will follow you anywhere. Just don't ask me to, don't ask me to make plans for the, for the, for the caucus. Um, I think if I'm going off the top of my head, like I said earlier, the local races is probably the best bet um, as far as getting people elected and uh, creating that sort of air of legitimacy um, for the party. And then just running 
absolutely no compromising or uncompromising libertarians uh, on, you know, in bigger races where it makes sense to run uncompromising libertarians. Um, Cause again, man, don't, don't fucking run a, 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 a good libertarian against a, you know, 80% good Republican for governor of your state. Just don't do it. Like <laughs> there's, yeah. there's, there's too much at stake in 2021. That, that stuff made sense in 2016. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't um, anymore. You know, so Mike and I, we just did uh, the Kelly Patrick show um, that I think he just released the episode today. He does a, a lot of like uh, libertarian politics and he's actually like a, a regional MMA uh, commentator. So uh, we did his show and it was a lot of fun. And I kind of like stumbled on this idea in my head. I'm like, wait, looking forward to 2024. What if it's a three-way race between Kamala Harris, Ron DeSantis and Dave Smith? Like, I'm going to be telling everybody like, listen to Dave Smith but don't vote for him. Vote for Ron DeSantis, you know? Like, well, and it probably depends on the state too. I mean, right. you know, Brian, yes. Brian McClanahan was in 2016 saying, look, if you, if you live in a, if you live in a red state, vote Gary Johnson. If you live in a blue state, vote Gary Johnson. If you live in a state where it might even be a little bit close, vote for Donald Trump. And yes. yeah, as a, as an official member of the libertarian party of Minnesota's executive committee, I'm not going to give anybody that advice, but you know, you really might want to consider Brian McClanahan's advice if it comes to that in 2024. Um, you know, I have the benefit of living in a hard blue state. I mean, we're the only state that voted for Walter Mondale, for God's sake. Uh, so I don't, I don't have that moral conundrum. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think the LP needs to run a presidential candidate because that's that's how we get publicity on the like national stage. Um, but man, who should the average Joe vote for? I mean, look, if if it's DeSantis versus Kamala, DeSantis is going to win. Kamala is horribly unpopular. Um, but whichever one of them wins, there's going to be lots and lots of global bloodshed. Like, neither one of those people is a good candidate. It just so happens that DeSantis was real good on COVID. He's terrible on everything else. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he, like you said, he's, he's not good. I know a lot of uh, the libertarian criticisms of him have been like, well, he's, he's like a super Zionist and it's like, yeah. okay. As opposed to what every other president of our lifetime, <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. So, so it's like, okay, at least he's, he's better domestically. He did things like ban vaccine passports and he's banning CRT in schools and, and all of these things. And he was anti-lockdown. And to me, it's like, okay, I'm like, being anti-war is one of my strongest positions as much as, you know, the next libertarian, but how are we supposed to have any impact on the rest of the world and tackling like us foreign policy? If we're being locked in our homes, like if we can't even win that battle, then how are we going to change anything else? So um, like, like you said, I, I'm sympathetic to the idea of voting for the Republican, even if they're not perfect, if it actually has a, a chance of swinging the race. But uh, yeah, I, I like, you know, I said before, I also want to see Dave get on a debate stage. That's not going to happen. I just like gut feeling the, the gut meter tells me that Dave is not going to be on CNN, like debating Kamala Harris. It would be the most glorious thing that mankind has ever witnessed. I just don't think it's going to happen. Dave's benefit is that he has a resume full of cable news appearances and those won't slow down if he runs for president. Um, you know, I mean, sure. He's not going to be featured on like MSNBC, but he wouldn't be anyway. Right. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah, and, and like people like Rogan would have like an obligation to have him on because yeah. it'd be it'd be so blatant if he stopped having stakes <laughs> on while he's yeah. running. It'd be like, I mean, it would be like you completely turn the back your back on the guy. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that like you you're fortunate enough to live in a deep blue state, and Nick and I are in Illinois too. So I said the same thing on the <laughs> Kelly Patrick show that. If Dave is, I don't care what percent Dave is at, I'm going to vote for him in Illinois yeah. because it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Damn, but I didn't I know y'all were in Illinois. That's awesome. We're going to have yeah. to have like a Midwest because I was just just talking to LB Munoz the other day. Uh, we need to have like a Midwest little meetup for just, sure, dude. And I'm, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm actually, I get up to the Twin Cities a couple times a year for uh, oh, yeah? purposes. So yeah, nice. Yeah, let me know next time you're here for sure. Because uh, we do we do like almost I don't know at least monthly stuff. Cool. Probably Where about are you at in the Twin Cities? I'm right in the middle of Minneapolis. Okay, cool. Oh, sweet. But, um, Look at that. I, yeah. I thought I, I thought I'd heard you mention that you're in Minnesota before. So uh yeah, I never even considered that. There's a very similar dynamic with like mm-hmm. your local state politics uh, yeah. as with us. And what sucks about us, is there like one city in in Minnesota that like dominates the rest? Is it like Minneapolis is blue yeah. and everybody else is kind of conservative? Um Minneapolis and St. Paul are very blue Duluth is uh, up up uh, near Lake Superior is purplish. Um, and then everything else is red. Yeah. That's, that's how it is with us. I mean, we grew up, uh, you know, an hour West of Chicago kind of out in farm country and uh, like everywhere around here is people are just kind of like small town conservatives, but yeah, all of our well, politics are run by Chicago. But yeah, exactly. But the cool thing about Minnesota um, is that the Republicans tend to be libertarian leaning. Um, and in fact, we, so I think in 2012, Rick Santorum, like won our, our popular caucus vote, whatever for the GOP primaries. Mm-hmm. But then at convention, we sent like our entire delegation was Ron Paul. Um, except, uh, one, one Ron Paul delegate gave up his seat so that Michelle Bachman, the Congresswoman could go as a delegate because she wasn't, she wasn't running for Congress again that year. Uh, so just like out of respect for her, but other than that, it was unanimously Ron Paul. Like, it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a blue state, but it's fairly independent. I think we were the first Democrat governor, like state with a Democrat governor who, uh, lifted the lockdowns, which, you know, I mean, he lifted the lockdowns because people were rioting over George Floyd's murder. Right. Um, Right. But, you know, I mean, he lifted the lockdowns and he took the mask mandate away as soon as the CDC lifted theirs. Um, like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't drag it out forever. Uh, in fact, he had a date set and then the CD, CDC announced if you're vaccinated, you can take off your mask, which, you know, nobody listened to. Um, yeah. and so he was like, Oh man, well, we, we've always said we're going to follow the science. So I guess take off your mask if you're vaccinated like that day. So I, you know, kudos to our governor. I, I would much rather have a governor who didn't lock us down, but you know, ours has been okay. And our state has a pretty good culture of individualism. Um, minus the, the George Floyd riots, which. Um, so how's the, how's like the culture been in the twin cities? Cause the people I know up there uh, that I associate with, I know a couple of people I know are very politically aligned with myself, but they said they were like, they and their friends were boycotting kind of even going to twin games. And they were like, they were diehard lifelong twin fans. Um, they're just, they're so upset with the actual city um, after all that. Do you see a lot of that in, in your experience? Um, well, okay. My so my partner's parents live in South Minneapolis in the precinct that was burned down. Um, that police station is still not staffed. They don't have cops, and 
there is apparently an arson situation going on. Uh, His dad's van, which is his work van, like it's his source of income, um, was just torched the night before the 4th of July. Uh, And there's houses and other like fires just being set. So, yes, there and, and obviously, I mean, there's a crime wave going on in like every major city. It's happening in Minneapolis, too. There's carjackings and murders and all kinds of stuff. So I'm like for the very first time in my life, a little bit scared to go out at night, which I don't like. Um, I don't, I don't like that feeling. Uh, On the other hand, like me and my friends, you know, we love it here. Like this is, this is home. This is uh, um, like, I've gone to twins games and stuff. I'm not boycotting anything. Um, Well, no, that's not true. There are a couple of restaurants that are still mandating masks and I'm boycotting those. Because uh, I'm not gonna fucking wear a mask. <laughs> Good for you, <laughs> but uh, yeah. thank you. I mean, it's just dumb. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, I mean, it, it's home. That uh, how do you how do you talk shit about your home? You know what I mean? Well, step one is be from Illinois, and then that works <laughs> pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. Good point. So, good point. Yeah, but uh, but no, I mean, it's it's an interesting point you bring up, and I didn't even consider that that you were really at like ground zero during the the riots last year. Well, um, here's the thing: I was in Dallas. Oh, really? Uh, oh, okay. My, so I grew up in Dallas. My family lives there. I've been here for over a decade. So this is like I said, home. Um, but we happened to be in Dallas over Memorial Day weekend, so we had to watch everything over Facebook live streams, which actually got us a front row seat because, um, you know, being members of the LGBTQ community or whatever, uh, like every, all of our friends were out, like they were out in the protests and riots. And, um, a lot of them were, were the ones distributing, you know, milk and water to people and being good Samaritans. Um, I have a paramedic friend who was, you know, literally cleaning up the next day and, uh, helping people who were in need of medical assistance. Uh, but one guy who's like a friend of a friend of a friend, um, was live streaming from the like the very front lines. They were when they were storming that police station and stuff. And to be honest, I was pretty giddy at the time. Like I loved seeing the police station get torched. Uh, seeing the aftermath of it and not being a particularly long term thinker, uh, I kind of regret being so giddy. But you know, I mean, at the time it was pretty exciting. I felt like I was I was witnessing something. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, there was there's kind of like a feeling like it has something to do with the lockdowns. Like it was people yeah. were fed up with being state controlled. Yeah. But then it got turned black versus white really quick. And I was like, whoa, whoa, no, this is like us, the like top first, yeah. you know, us bottom yeah. feeders. But um, yeah, I actually <laughs> I got sent up there for work a week after the riots and mm. it, it was crazy. So it was like all just the rubbish. Like I went there and there's like boarded up windows, yeah. graffiti, justice for George, spray painted on the streets and sidewalks yeah. and it was crazy. And like, I had to go to a hotel and I can't remember what street I was on, but I could see the Minnesota wild stadium from my hotel. So I was right downtown. And I remember asking the, uh, the lady at the hotel when I was checking in, cause we were like the only people there. I was like, you guys don't get a lot of traffic during riot season. <laughs> and she's like, no, <laughs> Oh my God. It's been exceptionally slow this week, but um, season. I-, I was terrified. I was there with a couple of coworkers and I was like, you know, going out at night was kind of like, oh, boy, is this like are, I, I don't we don't know what to expect, but it was pretty peaceful, you know, from where I was sitting at yeah. least. But I mean, where when you oh. see like the videos of uh, when you're talking about that, that shift in your gut feeling um, when you started to see videos of like bar owners who were watching their their businesses get vandalized and they went out there to try to defend it and like, you know, talk to the crowd and they were getting kicked by four people. And you see somebody who looks like he's dead 
like their their arms are bent yeah. backwards and they're unconscious on the ground. You see old couples that get smacked with two by fours. Uh, it got it got really dark pretty quickly. And uh, I, I guess this is a good segue um, into the the one topic that I wanted to start with tonight. We ended up not starting with it, but th- this is something that a lot of people have been uh, talking about. Like I know Buck Johnson has been. I, I, first of all, I really like Buck's podcast. He's a great interviewer um, yeah. and just oh, yeah. a, a fun guy to listen to. But he's been kind of pushing this idea that libertarianism is inherently right wing. And I, I guess like first starting with this discussion, you have to I guess define define your terms here. So I guess like I always thought that like I grew up conservative, so I identified as right. And then I became like a hardcore libertarian. I'm like, okay, so I'm neither left nor right. Like I would kind of describe mm-hmm. that my, myself that way to people. And then um, where it's really shifted has been the last year and a half where like we're talking about with the riots and everything. And you look at States that are red and communities that are red and they were unanimously, you know, condemning these, these riots and all of the lockdowns and everything. And you see the left, like, you know, not only cheering those on, but then just like, also they're all for lockdowns and mandating masks and everything. And it's like, just on a, on a very like reality based level, we have to admit that we are more aligned with the right. And, and maybe you could say that, yeah, sure. As individuals, uh, we, we tend to overlap more with the right in t- 2021, but I guess you can make the case that the ideology of libertarianism being like non-aggression isn't, uh, left or right. But then I, I don't know if it was Yarvin. I, I was trying to remember who said this. He basically defined right wing as the absence of progressivism or the absence of being left wing. Like if you're not left, you are right by default. So like left wing is like this force feeding of ideas. That's like pushing the needle forward and trying to change society. So if you are, if you're a reactionary against that, it makes you right wing. Like what are your thoughts on that idea? Yeah. So I think that's, that's part of the problem with trying to define us as left, right, or neither um, is you can't really define it. Um, like popular liberty, Andrew has said that the left has a high time preference for power and the right has a low time preference for power. Um, Mm. That's how he defines it. Um, I think probably the most convincing definition of left and right has to do with hierarchy left. The the left is skeptical of hierarchy where the right feels like hierarchy is both inevitable and desired. Um, I I don't I don't like to take a firm position on that because the the terms are so nebulous yes, as to be yeah. undefinable. Um if and, and and so I think that if I had to define myself regardless of of which definition you pick, I fought, I fall pretty firmly on the left. Um I'm not a Marxist, uh, but I certainly, I certainly understand the appeal of um, like class struggle and the appeal of at least local communism. Obviously national communism gets extremely problematic, uh, but you know, I, you know, it would not, it would not be outside of my comfort zone to live on a commune. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm much more the the type to to sit and talk philosophy for hours. So, like Bernie Sanders, I'd probably get kicked off of any commune I joined. But uh, you know, I mean, it's not it's not an unattractive 
it's not an unattractive uh, but now, scenario for me. When you when you say commune, do you, are you like referring to like a, a voluntary yeah. private or yeah? Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like that's so, the whole, but the whole that premise. but. But so I also like the malice test, you know, it, are some people better than others? I definitely give you a speech. I don't I don't say <laughs> yes or no. Okay. Um, the, the hierarchy test. Um, I'm definitely skeptical of hierarchy, even voluntary hierarchies. Um, uh, I, I think I I think I agree with using that particular definition of uh, of rightism. Um, I think I agree with the right that hierarchies are inevitable. But I agree with the left that they're that they're not necessarily desirable. So um, okay, I, I see why why you say that you are the kind of philosophy type to, to you know talk these things until the sun rises because <laughs> it makes sense because you are somewhat of a unicorn in this space, like being in the Mises circle Thanks. and you're in like the Misesian world, but also kind of identify on the left and and talk about like the values you just laid out and. I, I mean, to an extent, like I would probably identify myself as like right libertarian or even I feel like it's kind of a, a loaded term, but like paleo libertarian. I'm not right. sure how how accurate that would be. But, you know, in general, like I do like embracing um, hierarchies in the in certain contexts, but also I, I find myself uh, very sympathetic to a lot of left wing impulses mm -hmm. like I also, I don't like seeing like rampant inequality. It's just that with, let's say with, with income inequality and people that are in poverty, my recipe for, for fixing that is going to be like free market economics and like yeah. Bitcoin and competing currencies. Yeah. But, but I still like, and like, I want to see people be treated equally, you know? And I think the best way to have like people in marginalized groups treated equally is to have like voluntary transactions that we need to remove the state from interfering and all these things. So I, I completely get that. Like, and then I guess with the, are some people better than others question? I would just say, yes, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. to me, it's yes. like, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I get the <clears throat> argument of like why you want to elaborate and, and pull apart the nuance there. Sure. So I think that is, uh, I, I think that is interesting. So yeah. I, I mean, on the, on the topic, sorry, go ahead. Well, and, and just, um, for like a little added color, like this whole trend of, of libertarians and, and, you know, other people of goodwill converting all of a sudden to Orthodox Christianity. I'm, like I, I under, completely understand the allure to uh, going back to these, these traditional like apostolic versions of Christianity from the either Roman Catholicism that I was, that I was raised in or the evangelicalism that a lot of our, a lot of our Protestant friends were, were raised in. Um, this need for a like central guiding tradition that goes back 2000 years. Oh my God, that I understand why that is so powerfully attractive to people. But I also understand why like my friends who go by they, them pronouns and my, my, my new coworker who like just came out as transgender a few months ago and she hasn't even shaved off her beard yet and still wants us to call her her. Like I totally get that too. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of caught between two different realities. Yeah. And, and, you know, with, with things like that, um, like, let's say with your coworker, like, I, I guess this is also another, I would say like, I have like a, a left wing sympathy or like instinct or whatever is like, 
I'm generally a, a non-confrontational person. I don't like, I, I really don't mm-hmm. like offending people. You know, sure. it's like, I think that I, I'm, you know, people that want to like forcefully uh, vaccinate kids against their will. Like I'm all <laughs> for insulting them all day long, yeah, you know, yeah. call them, call them whatever is going to hurt their feelings. Um, but in general, it's like, I don't, I don't want to offend people. That makes me feel like bad when somebody gets upset by something I say. So, so I, I completely get that. Um, to me, it's the, the creepy thing that we're seeing is like when you see like corporations and, and banks get behind like all of these weird, like they're like psyops, you know, these, these PR campaigns that we see, Dude. like when you watch the Super Bowl, it's like every single commercial is woke. It's just like that fucking guys, CIA ad, man. Yeah. Oh my God. That's the perfect illustration. Yeah. It's the perfect illustration. And I feel like, and and, okay, this is where I put on my tinfoil hat. I feel like it's almost, uh, uh, you know, targeted campaign to divide and conquer. Like you're taking people that like, let's look at the right wing in the last, uh, 10, 15 years, like they have come a long way on a lot of social issues. Like they, they really have, like they're Mm -hmm. even like establishment Republican voters are very (laughs) live and let live, you know? And it's That's, like, go ahead. Sorry. Keep no, keep, no, I was going to say, it's like, it's like the, the idea of, um, you know, we want to be an inclusive society and, and, uh, you know, tolerant of others. It's like, guys, we've, that battle's pretty much won. Like if somebody is like, you know, openly bigoted or, or racist or whatever, it's like, even if there's a, a right wing or a, a company that's like a, owned by conservatives, they're going to like fire that person immediately. Like it's just mm-hmm. the, the way our society's moved. And, uh, you know, Gavin McInnes always, uh, uses this phrase where he's like, you guys are fighting ghosts. And I think that's a lot of, of what we're seeing right now is people like, if you look at the whole like BLM movement, you know, they're acting as if we still live in the Jim Crow South and not appreciating how yeah. far our society's come. And, uh, I, I really like this analogy of progressivism being like a fruit, like if it's a banana, if you have a society with no progress, it's like a green banana that you can't eat. Like it's not ready to eat yet. Mm-hmm. But if you have so much progressivism, it's like, okay, the banana is turning brown and there's fruit <laughs> yeah. flies around it, you know? That's so good, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember where I heard it. I might've come up with it. So I'll just, I'll throw that Kudos out there. You if you did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, and actually this is, I haven't, I haven't like done a ton of thinking about this. Um, I think that progressivism as like an ideology is the antithesis and opposite of libertarianism as an ideology. And I think that you have left libertarians just like you have left progressives, but you also have right progressive, just like you have right libertarians. I think that the, the like common thread of progressivism is just this idea that the government can can accomplish all of these things that the progressives want the government to accomplish. Yeah. Even going um, back to like libertarianism the is the opposite of that. Yeah. Like, and I feel like the word progressive is fitting. If you go back to like Teddy Roosevelt and how mm-hmm. he wanted the government to be like this, this agent of, or this agency of, uh, of, of manufacturing like global good. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that, that tradition of progressivism um, has really stayed true to itself and it's, it's dominated the last hundred years. <laughs> And uh, meanwhile, conservatism and and this is uh, maybe a chat for another time because I wanted to talk like political labels tonight um, because it seems like those are ever evolving and shifting and changing. And, uh, you know, if you listen, I, I so I like Dave Rubin. I really like listening to his show, but it gets a little old. He asks every single guest. Oh, my God. He asks I, every guest. 
is would you make any distinction between classical liberal and libertarian? And it's like, come on, Dave, like there's so much more beyond that. Like, yeah, they're pretty much the same thing. All right. Can we move on? Like, I, I want to know about like a boomer con. I, I know, I, man, it's God. a bummer. I used to love him so much. I know. I know. He started calling people patriots, which like, okay, fine. Yeah. Call people patriots. But you're right. I mean, like all of that just sort of nonsense is, is just such window dressing when you have deeper issues to discuss. Yeah. And I know we, we actually talked about this on, on some Facebook posts. I can't remember uh, what group it was in, but, but yeah, Dave Rubin, it's like, it's a tough one because I feel like he has one foot in the sort of like real, uh, you know, alternative media scene. And then he's also trying to like pander to, to boomer cons where if you just look at his, his episode titles, it's just all these, like, you won't believe Biden said this in all caps. And it's like, okay, I get it. You're going for the clicks for, for like the, the, you know, former Fox news viewers who are now like disenchanted. Yeah, I get it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he, he's, it, it's tough because I still like him a lot. You know, I, I like listening to his show. He's a great interviewer, but, uh, but uh, gosh, that's, that's been rough to see his cringe boomer con transformation. But in, in, you know, uh, on the other hand, I like I, his interview style is, something that I want to mimic and like model myself after I'd love, yeah, absolutely. like I love the way that he asks questions and stuff. And yeah, that is like my crowning achievement as a podcaster is my, is my interviews. Like I, I, I have been, I've been called like the perfect interviewer, which I love. I, yeah, like, no, so I, cool. that's how I discovered you is your interview of Tom Woods. Okay, and cool, then cool. I mean, I recognized your name from like, uh, like were you in the part of the problem inner circle? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I knew I knew you from there. I thought so. And then, uh, like the LPMC, but, uh, yeah, no, your interviewing style is great. And, uh, I think that, you know, Dave Rubin is also a great architect of, uh, of interviewing. Um, so let me see before we get out of here in the chat too. Yes. I was about to say, before we get out of here, we should, uh, so, okay, go ahead and answer the question. Okay. So Daniel W who is a friend of mine, uh, shout out to Daniel W whose last name I'm not going to say, even though I finally know how to pronounce it after all these years of interacting online. Uh, he says, do you guys think that any organization that is not explicitly right wing will become left wing, uh, applies to the Mises caucus. And I, I think that the Mises caucus is explicitly right wing. I mean, I I don't know. It's, it really depends on how you define the terms. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I mean, so here's the Mises caucus. And this is, this is one area where I differ from the Mises caucus. They're very, very hardcore on the Lockean uh, understanding of private property. And that is like the quintessential right-wing position. So I don't think that that's something that the Mises caucus has to worry about. I'm happy to be affiliated with them and associated with them because uh, I think that other than the the few areas where I disagree with them as a as like a political movement um, are the areas also that will lend stability to them as a political movement, including Lockean property rights. Yeah, yeah. I first of all, I, I like that thought experiment of any organization that's not explicitly right wing becoming left wing. I think that is it's something to definitely be weary of. But when you like you mentioned, it's so the devil's in the details of like defining your terms because yeah. like you described yourself as uh as you know left wing i describe myself as sort of uh to the right i don't and describe myself as left wing sure sure but, I, I, but all I the but all that. the tests that you take yes uh, i fall yeah. on the left 
Right, right. So if somebody if somebody listened to you, like you know, kind of flesh out your philosophy, they might go, "Oh, that guy seems like a left winger." If I had to like check a sure. box left or right, but you know, and, and you made the case, and I respect the case you laid out, why you you might identify that way or or say that you're in that camp. But at the same time, if I just like look at all your politics, like your policies in a box and be like, yep, that guy's on my team. He's he's on yeah. the libertarian right. You know, I'm definitely anti woke or whatever we're calling woke nowadays since uh, since that term has fallen out of vogue. Yeah. Except yeah. For, for so, the boomer cons. Right. Right. And this right. is what the left, the we'll say the progressive left is so good at is is playing the language game. And then when something gets a bad rap, they they scrap it and they move on to a new term. So, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going to replace woke if it's just like, I don't know, whatever the next thing is. And then you see like right now they're they're running from the term critical race theory, yeah. where they go. Like, well, no, I'm not a, thing. Yeah, like I'm not a critical race theorist. You know, that's a that's a legal structure. I'm just an admirer and somebody who thinks. Yeah. That this should oh, be you think you think we shouldn't teach kids about slavery? Oh, man. Wait, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, we never uh, learned about slavery, right? We never learned about it. Even just, when uh, we came yeah. up in school. Even when, so uh, how old are you, James? If you don't mind me I'm asking. I'm 38. I'm way older so, than you. And we learned, and I'm from Texas. Like I'm from the, you know, the dirty South or whatever, the, the yeah. last bastion of slavery. And not only did we learn about slavery, but we learned about Juneteenth. While y'all were like up here, never hearing of this new federal holiday. Like I was raised celebrating it. Like, right, I, right. You know, I mean. So that's what's that's what's so frustrating so it's it's not even that like oh kids are already learning about slavery now it's like no they have been since slavery was a thing yeah, you that's know not, it's that's and, not what's and, an issue here right and for the last hundred years i i think you'd struggle to find a teacher who was like known for saying like making a moral defense of slavery it's like it's such a, a nonsense like straw man argument um, to try to say like, we're, this is just about racial sensitivity. And when Trump was on the debate stage with Biden and Trump's like critical race theory is bad. It's very yeah. bad. All kinds of bad things are going to come from it. And then Biden's like, Hey, we're just, we're just teaching kids to be race inclusive and sensitive about race. Why, why is that a bad thing? And Trump didn't have a defense because Trump was the kid who, you know, didn't really read the yeah. book, but does the book report anyway and gives the speech. So a, a lot of people, uh, just kind of that was their only exposure to it and it's like it's just a new form of racial sensitivity so ah, it's frustrating like the, the left they are like you have to admire the sort of gymnastics they pull with language if i can quote um and i'm going to call it right now if i can quote the next president of these united states comic dave smith uh <laughs> from from a tweet earlier today, and this is, uh, it resonates with me so much. Um, the most powerful voices are always the ones that shatter the paradigm. And I love, I love that first of all, because, you know, the paradigm is like the, the, not even, not even like the conventional wisdom. It is what everyone just assumes to be true. It's the, it's the era that we live in. Um, so the, the most powerful voices are always the ones that shatter the paradigm. The black parents passionately opposing schools teaching their children that they are victims are some of the most important voice voices in the country. And that is absolutely true. Oh, yeah. um, I don't care where I fall on the left or right. If you're teaching little kids that either they are victims who are, you know, unable to rise above their victimhood or oppressors who are unable to repent of their oppressiveness, you are not only abusing the kids, but you're destroying the future society. Like you guys as parents, like have a huge responsibility there. Um, and it just it, like, it, 
it breaks my heart that that's even a thing that is being considered that these teacher teachers unions are like, I mean, who are they in it for? Why would you become a teacher if you wanted to tell kids that? I know it's the most disempowering thing you could tell somebody. If you just like took, like forget the world of politics for a minute. If you had a a friend or or a, a kid that you knew in your life that like had this kind of woe is me attitude that thought they didn't have a chance because everybody was out to get them. You'd be like, like you'd be say, you know, snap out of it. Like you, you have the power to like change your circumstances. You know, this, this whole notion of like teaching kids that they're victims, like you said, it's just, it's awful. It's the, one of the worst things you can do. And before we move on to that tweet, that tweet, that, that tweet that you quoted from Dave about the most powerful voices being the one that shattered the paradigms. I loved one of the replies to that. He goes like, you know, black parents who speak out against the schools, uh, you know, anti-war veterans. And this one guy just comments, he's like, wiggers that use the N word. And I just, I just thought that was hilarious. Like it was just, just this nonsense. Like this is one of those GFY shit posters who of course I'm following. Right. I don't even know yeah. who this is. It's I hate just, that. I hate that so much. I'm following all these people who like, uh, are going to destroy my political career, which is never going to happen. <laughs> but like, <laughs> if someone were to go through the my Twitter followings, I follow like four thousand people. It's insane. Uh, but man, yeah, I, the, TL, I just, the TLE guys are not cut out for office. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, and and it's it's like. I, I just, I'm a sucker for a well-timed joke. That's like on a serious post, like having something that's just nonsense. Like I just, I love it. It's just, I couldn't let that go. It was too funny. Well, but back is this to your actually point. a timeline earth guy? Who is this? I, well, I don't know. I think I know a lot okay. of him. I saw a TLE fly. tag. He might just be a fan. I know. Yeah. He's got a Bluetooth, <laughs> Bluetooth label for his, uh, for his profile. Page, so <laughs> um, that tells you a lot. <laughs> but back to your, like your teacher thing. I know we had Dr. Stephen Hicks on our show a few weeks ago and he talked about when these teachers Is he graduate. the postmodernism guy? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, he yeah. ironically lives in Rockford, Illinois. He's like <laughs> of course, he's like he's <laughs> 20 minutes I, away from me. Of course, I'm a huge fan of and like literally am on the payroll of Thad Russell. So that tells you like where I fall on the Stephen Hicks versus uh, well, we postmodernism debate too. We got so. we got a comment confirming that was Aaron from Timeline Earth that made that comment. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that made that makes, I knew, I knew that he was GFY. Yeah, GFY is go fuck yourself. By the way, he told yeah. us when he was on here. I um, was yeah. I was the GFY HR manager for a time. Uh, I <laughs> might I'm not I'm not good at shit posting at all, so it just didn't work. But you know, it was fun. It was fun for for the week or so that I had it on Twitter. Yeah, but uh, we had anyway. so Doctor Hicks ironically lives like twenty minutes from Nick and I. It's pretty, nice. He lives like right next to us, kind of cool. But um, he he said when the teachers uh, graduate from their teacher school and, and you know college get their degree, they sign an oath to uphold like these ten principles, and they keep changing them, and it's more and more seriously. Mm-hmm. And basically, some of them just sign it, and then some of them feel guilty if they're not doing it, and just want to help kids, and you know they either do or do not abide by it. And then some feel like they sign it. Oh, they got to uphold it. And it becomes their religion. And yeah, it's kind playing of uh, on people's sense of honor. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's um, oath is the like anglicized version or like the, the English translation of the word sacrament. Um, like when, when we talk about oaths, that has a much deeper meaning than just like a promise or a contract or whatever. This is, this is yes. actually something serious. Like, well, it's, it's, it's baptism. It's the Eucharist. It's, you know, these things that are, that have like actual real religious value. Um, the V-A-C-C-I-N-E. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whoa, <laughs> dude, you're not kidding. Talk about a yes. modern sacrament. It's a um, baptism. Or not modern, maybe like a like a postmodern sacrament, really. The the these these little rituals and these little promises that we make and and these oaths that we take and stuff like we have to be really cognizant of what we're doing we're we're not we're not just making a promise it's it's like this is real this is this is like this is like if you believe in the soul or not this is soul binding stuff yeah yeah and and do, th- that's that's no joke and i think that's something that people feel on a on a very like spiritual level where if if you ask somebody like if you tell a white lie, right? Like if my wife says like, like, Oh, did you remember to take out the the garbage or something? And I go, um, I, I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I did. And it's like, okay, I'll really go do it in a minute. And she's like, swear on Sophie, our dog's life. And I'll be like, no, I'll go do it right now. Like there's this, <laughs> there's this another level of like, this is my honor. Yeah. Like this is my soul. Like you said. And, and I think that that whole oath thing like really plays into that. But, um, Hey guys, so I, I do have sort of a hard out. I wanted to wrap up by around nine. Um, okay. even though we could, we could talk for hours. Um, James, uh, plug your podcast, your Twitter, everything that you want to yeah. plug, people can find you. Uh, podcast is at blackbird.substack.com. Um, and Twitter is at James LJ. So yeah, fun. dude. Well, yeah, James, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, I wish we could talk a little more. Next time in the Twin Cities, I'll hit you up, though. Um, I'm okay, there cool. Quite a bit. So, um, but yeah, guys, uh, please rate, review our show, leave us a review on iTunes, and find us at Freedom Fest, July 21st or 24th in Rapid City. So, and balls to the walls on Twitter with a Z at the end. With a Z at the end. Can I pa- can I shout out real quick, Bobby Joe in the in the chat? She's been yes, I wanted to super active, and I love her to death. Uh, and I'm gonna give her a big hug next time I'm in St. Paul. Um, and we didn't get to acknowledge any of the stuff that she contributed to. The, yes. The yeah. I felt bad because I'm like, I love yeah. the live, the live commenters, yeah. but, uh, but it's like, no, she's new to us. We're learning. Catch up. Oh, yeah, she's we're, so, we're she's so great. Hopefully she'll, hopefully she'll come back, but uh, yeah, she's awesome. Um, and if next time we do like a twin cities meetup, she'll definitely be there too. Hell yeah. All right, cool. cool. Talk to you guys later. Thank you so All much. Right. Thanks James right. guys. Thanks for James. listening. Bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.